Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's the point? My real question though is like, Morgan Freeman has a super deep voice, but your oh, he... sound is deeper in your head than it is. So do you think his voice inside his own head is just like this unbelievably deep, booming, godlike voice? It's, it's like it's why he plays God, right? Yeah, exactly. But, but like, like he's, I think, the only person in the world that records himself and goes, "Damn, hmm. that was good." David Attenborough, maybe so, two. There yeah. are two. Yeah, there are two people. <laughs> Sorry, I don't see why that is, shouldn't be included in the podcast. I think that was great banter. Uh, I guess we already said welcome, so I guess then you say uh, we're here today on the Stories of Until podcast with, with Jeanette. Thank you, Jeanette. No problem. Thank you for having me. Uh, and we're going to hear a story from you at the end of this, at the end of this piece. Uh, but what we're talking about now is we're going to sort of go back and forth because one of the biggest differences, I think, between um, our storytelling event and other storytelling events is that we really foc- we force people, we literally force people to write things down, um, and and which which is interesting because it's, it it has a whole bunch of different th- aspects to it. And you you have a writing background, correct? So I studied English, and a big part of that is um, actually I'd say probably the only part of that is writing a lot. Even in I think in the story you actually mentioned that you studied English, and so you get rid of all the adjectives. Oh I yeah, it's a part of the story. Oh yeah, and I've been writing things since I was like six. I you know everyone else was out on the playground playing real people games, and mm. I was like, you know, plagiarizing my favorite novels. Nice. Yeah. Um, actually, I've actually been asked this question for a long time, so I'm going to ask you now. Uh, what do you do without adjectives? It's hard. It's hard, but it's important. So why is it important? It's important because if you can't say it without an adjective, it's not worth saying. Interesting. Show, Can you give me an example? Show, don't tell. Um, if you tell me that you ran quickly, that's mm. an adverb, but, but telling me that something's shiny um, mm. gives me no value, or telling me that something is pretty like don't tell me that she's pretty tell me how she makes you feel okay okay uh so like so if somebody says if could you get away with if you say something is shiny instead saying it reflected something can you give an action to the item yeah that's that's okay Okay. sure all right i'll give you that sweet uh yeah like i've been needing to ask that question for so long and this is the great opportunity to do it uh so the so yeah so you so we've so both pieces you've actually brought uh you had written beforehand uh, as something else, and then we sort of adapted to to the stage, if you will, which sounds incredibly pretentious, but I said it already, so I'm sticking with it. Um, and so, and I, people have done them in the past. We've done it with different sort of things. People have sort of brought essays they've written and brought it and, and, brought, and changed it to more of a story based. And we we sort of talked that, about that process a lot. But your two have been different. You actually had stories, which then you sort of adapted and changed. Yeah, I think the first story I brought to you actually read more like a poem than mm-hmm. it did a story. And so that's one of the things that I've really liked about. Uh, meeting you guys is sort of adapting the way that I the way that I write so that I can eventually say it out loud. Um, something that I've noticed is that people will bring stories in the way that they would tell them to their friends, mm-hmm. and they have to sort of um, I don't want to say class them up, but class them up for for a performance. And I feel like sometimes I'm doing the opposite. I'm you know culling my adjectives, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I find that so interesting. Is that really we've, we the most common? There's two things we get most common. Either you get someone who comes in with a with just how they tell it to their friends, which is just a bunch of just sort of like, here's a bunch of plot points in nothing else. Or you get someone who's written basically what is a personal essay. So here's a theory or a thought I have, 
and then and then they have to they have to graph that onto onto uh, a timeline. This is sort of a third way of bringing a story into something, which is here is like a you know a poem basically that I wrote, uh, and now I need to give this poem more sort of uh, a more cohesive timeline and, and, and bring it down to more into a thing, which is different from anyone else has done. So, what was that like? I think I've had it beaten into me since you know, first year, hmm. um, the sort of beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> and so something you may have noticed with the stories I bring, except for the ones that I bring and say, that I finished half of this, enjoy, <laughs> um, is that I think the first thing that I think about when I decide to write something is, you know, what's my beginning, middle, and end? Um, and I've had to fight that impulse a little bit because something I've noticed is that some of my favorite stories don't necessarily follow that structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely subscribe to the belief that you need to know the rules in order to break them. I'll spend a lot of time agonizing over what word to put somewhere. Like, should I be using just said, or is this a time for a better word than that? Or, um, you know, should I use a person's name or is this time to use a pronoun? And so I agonize over those little things and I find that that reflects, I find that that manifests on, on the page a lot differently than it does in person. So I'm fascinated by sort of the structure of, of what does a page look like and is the spacing weird and, and it, it, does that word not only sound nice but, but look good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't matter when you're telling a story. Um, and I find that, that those sort of minutia can disappear. And so I've had to let go of that a little bit and convince myself that, that it really doesn't matter what word you put there, that I'm going for something a little bit bigger. Um, which can be freeing and also absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I think it's funny you mentioned that because my last story, I had a piece, a part of it written that was in italics, and I left it in italics. And I, when I got up, when I got upset, you're like, no one can see. I wrote this in italics. How do you convey italics? Exactly. How do you convey italics? How do you convey a line break? How mm. do you convey, um, you know, those little squiggles that people put to <laughs> indicate a change of time or space or um, there are so many formatting things that you don't, you can't lean on in storytelling. And so you have to use, you, you know, you have different things that you can use. You have tone of voice, you have space, you have, you know, the speed at which you're speaking, but those crutches of punctuation are gone. The other interesting thing that you mentioned there is I find that, so people have accused almost all of my stories as being basically slam poetry. Uh, and I think that more has to do with my delivery necessarily than the writing. Um, uh, I think it's similar. You see a similar vein in in some of, in some of your stories in that it's 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 most often I'm swept up usually in your in your stories in the in the moment in the moments you create with with sort of because it's more lit. I think because it's you because you've put so much thought into the words you're choosing and the, into the actual pieces you're you're getting into. You bring people into these shorter moments, which is interesting. When you're trying to only make it eight minutes long, you can only really you can sparingly really draw people in with that kind of thing if you're trying to get to a full story. Oh yeah, and but, I'm a sucker for alliteration. <laughs> I'm a sucker for you know things that sound nice rolling off the tongue, um, and that's something I definitely notice as well is that I I end up cutting huge swaths of a story because everything that I'm trying to describe um, you, you know it would take a week and it would be incredibly boring and no one wants to listen to that and it's just not good storytelling mm. like that's for novel writing right yeah my brother is as I said my brother started uh, has been reading Proust for almost a year now and he will routinely just burst out with a line or like you know a sentence or two from Proust which of course is a page and a half because Proust doesn't ever put periods anywhere uh, and I feel like that's quite the, the, the exact uh, exact example of, of the kind of thing it's like that can maybe work in a novel when you're when you're reading like that but in storytelling you can't spend three minutes describing a, a like you know a cauliflower you just can't oh yeah and like you know you see tons of authors that are 
super guilty of that. Like Tolstoy, one of my favorite authors, spends hours describing who's wearing what and who's looking at what and like who's related to who. And you just don't have that sort of time. And so the economy of language and the economy of um, what you choose to share, I think, is something that I'm still working on a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also you, you, you sort of are forced, like, okay, what's one line that gets across this scene as much as possible so I can get to the action in it? Uh, because so much does happen. Your stories aren't sort of things, like, I, I once wrote a story, uh, which I, I think we've referred to earlier on this podcast, where I tried to do nothing. I, I literally wrote a whole story where I was, I'm trying to write a story that actually nothing happens, uh, or that is, that is at least about nothing. Uh, but your stories aren't about nothing. Your, you, they're about things that are happening, and so you actually have to get to an end. You can't just spend eight minutes talking about a thing that might have occurred, because they have full stories. They're full things. Oh, and that's my greatest fear. My greatest fear is taking you down like an eight-minute journey of where I've, I've forgotten the end because again that's been beaten into me so much that I'm you know I'm still hanging on to the idea that you, you need some kind of closure or else who, why, why are you telling the story yeah and uh, how much are you how much are you in a kind, of, kind of person who needs that last line I feel like my story isn't done until a la- I have that last line where I can just like mic drop and walk off stage oh god yeah I think the last line is like the equivalent of the title for mm. a short story you know you have to agonize over the title of a short story because because it's like the rules or something. <laughs> um, but, but that is one nice thing about storytelling is that you don't need a title. Right. Um, and so that, that attention all transfers to the last line. So I'd say, oh God, I probably spend as much time on the last line as I do the rest of the story. Yeah, I think for me, if I, get, if I, have, if I know where I'm going and I have a last line, then, I'm, then, I'm like, then, I'm, then I feel pretty confident. I feel like I just need like a book of last lines that I can <laughs> refer to. Just like write a bunch of good ones out for you and remember them drag from and, to, and just drop them into stories afterwards. Yeah, oh yeah, it'd be so much easier to build a story around a last line than to you know build a last line around a story. Yeah, that's actually that's actually you know, that's actually kind of a interesting as an aside. I, I'd love to play that game of everyone just gives someone else a last line and like give me a story that ends with this line. I was gonna say that should be uh, that should be our next activity. There we go. Um, if you see, if so, if, if, if it's ever a month in which we just have a bunch of weird last lines, it's because we played this game, everybody. Pretend I'm one of the people who sort of comes to uh, storytelling with, because I feel like exactly, you said you're, you're sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum of people we sort of, uh, of stories we come across. Uh, and I would love to know what you sort of advice you might give someone who comes with a, a dry piece. Uh, in that sort of, in, you know, a piece that's sort of like not saying it's bad, but it's like, it's like you have the feeling there, but like you know, it's 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 not a story. It's an essay, or it's a thing. It's like you know, you're, you and they know it's not. I'm not saying that they're they're wrong, but like, how what what do you do to get to bring that sort of life uh, into the stories that or that sort of experience of of wonder almost or beauty and, and like to like because really the scenes that the what stands out for me in the stories that you tell is that there's the scenes are 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 spectacular you like you, you you're there um and that's the biggest thing i think people struggle with when they're trying to get to storytelling is get is is really making setting the scene because uh, they're really good at action and they're really good at feelings but they just don't the scene setting is the part that's that that really is the one that takes a while to craft well you know that the first thing i'm going to say to anyone is cut all your adjectives um <laughs> No, I'm being facetious, but I'm not. I'd say cut all your adjectives and then look at the ones you're really attached to and figure out why. Mm. And, you know, once you ask yourself why are you attached to that particular idea, flesh it all out. So, um, you know, how are you feeling? What were you smelling? What were you thinking? Um, What's the context? You know, are any of those different than what people might expect? Um, And if there's nothing remarkable there, move on to the next adjective that you're hung up on. But if there is something remarkable there, um, flesh that out and take a moment to sit in it. I feel like um, in storytelling, we have this impulse to 
to think about what the next thing that happens and the next things that happens. And you, and, and you see that when you're telling story to your friends. It's, you know, and then he was like, and then she was like, and then he was like, and then she was like. But think about what's going on in that moment and take a moment to sort of let the story sit before you, you push it forward. Nice. Uh, so if people theoretically wanted to follow you on, on Twitter, what is your Twitter handle? At Jeanette Stock. Yeah. But your, name, but your first name is spelled in a way that apparently no one at Starbucks can ever figure out. So oh, yeah. you probably should spell it. Uh, yeah. So it's at Jeanette Stock, and Jeanette is J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E. Yeah. So how many times, uh, does, as, a, as a final question, uh, the number of times you go to Starbucks, what percentage of times do they get your name spelled correctly? Um, well, I'm a Starbucks junkie, as right. you know. And I, I probably have, you know, we can do the math on that, but two a day for... 365 days since I've been back in Toronto. Okay, so we're looking at the upwards of the thousands. Uh, and it's been spelled right three times. Okay. All right. So incredibly, incredibly small. All right. Uh, and with that, uh, here's a very a tone shift, if you will, uh, with Jeanette's story. Take it away, Jeanette in the past. When he learned he was diagnosed with lung cancer, my grandfather wrote down a Gaelic prayer on a scrap of paper. He gave it to my oldest cousin and asked Dave to read it at his funeral. He even scrawled the introduction at the top of the page. Please bow your heads to pray. That sort of thing. Because that's the kind of guy he was. He chose all his readings, actually, which is how I knew that I wanted to read the Rubaiyat before he had even died. The only things my grandfather loved more than Macallum scotch were my grandmother and maybe vanilla ice cream, so it only seems fitting. Drink, for you know not whence you came nor why. Drink, for you know not where you go nor why. I drank more this December than I have since I turned 19, but I don't really think that's what Omar Khayyam was going for. <laughs> I booked my flight down to Florida to say goodbye an hour after my mother called to tell me that she thought that my Saturday flight might be too late. I still miss my plane, and I broke down in tears at the Delta Air counter. I somehow managed to get it out between sobs. I need to get to Sarasota. And to my surprise, the airline person actually helped. She suddenly sprang into action, started yelling at all the nearby booths, get out of the way, get out of the way, she, she needs to get to Sarasota. And I made my plane in 45 minutes. Who makes a plane in 45 minutes? I was six hours too late to say goodbye. Despite protests that it was fine, I can take a cab, my grandmother picked me up from the airport in her robin's egg blue convertible. The only time I've ever seen anyone else in this car was when a girl was given it as a birthday present on my super sweet 16. My grandfather gave it to her as a Christmas present, a throwback to the first car she'd ever owned, this boxy station wagon that showed up outside their house on Christmas morning with a hand-painted sign attached to it. This December, I learned that I have an uncanny knack for obituaries. I learned this at 11 p.m. the night before my grandfather's was due when my aunts and uncles were still fighting over the first line. I confiscated their pens and papers and armed them all with wine and whiskey, and I gathered their best stories. Robert, that time that you got pulled over for speeding and, and the cops called him and he just said, well, throw him in jail. 
no, 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 no. It's definitely the paintball gun. That one he bought after he woke up that morning and saw that Canada goose sitting right on top of the plastic wolf he had bought to chase them all away. I'll never forget waking up in the morning and seeing him on the dock in his tidy whities and his bathrobe shooting blue paintballs at those birds. So I managed to keep out any stories that could be misconstrued as illegal or animal cruelty. My cousin Jill and I took the three pages of notes we collected and tried to condense 86 years into something that you can fit in a newspaper. Like a good English student, I cut all the adjectives, but even so, it was still the only death notice in the Globe and Mail that ran the full page. In the Sarasota paper, it took up two columns. This Christmas, I realized that I do not believe in God. This revelation came on December 23rd as I was reading at his funeral. I somehow got stuck with the most difficult one. Death is Nothing at All by H. Scott Holland. I held a golf tee in my fist and pressed it into the palm of my hand every time I thought there was a risk that I might cry. Everyone else lost it at the first line, but I held on into the last stanza. One brief moment and all will be as it was before, only better, infinitely happier, and forever we will all be one together with Christ. For my mother and grandmother, this line is relief. He is waiting for them in heaven, playing cards and drinking scotch with his best friends. For me, this is the final blow. All will not be as it was before. I believe his atoms are already beginning to scatter. He is becoming grass and trees, just as he became a man from the atoms of the buffalo and the dodo bird and the dinosaurs. Only one of us can be right. Drink, for you know not whence you came, nor why. Drink, for you know not where you go, nor why. In my mind, his obituary reads a little differently. Dennis Robert Evans of Toronto passed away peacefully in his favorite blue chair, surrounded by family. His wife, Janet, held one hand, his daughter held the other, and his son held both. They sang his favorite Frank Sinatra songs at the top of their lungs, and they toasted him with famous Grouse, his second favorite drink. The party in his honor was two weeks and $2,000 in alcohol long. He was a larger-than-life character. He never said goodbye, only, you work hard now. This summer, his granddaughter and wife will fly a float plane over Lake of Bays, scattering his ashes over the golf course he worked on as a young boy, the roads he built as a young man, and the cottage he grew old in. As he would often joke, most of my friends are sleeping outside. He has now joined them. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash stories we don't tell podcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca.